Hey, everybody. How y'all doing? Awesome night. Um, Turn to Romans 10, and here's what it says, starting in verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? that is, to bring Christ down, or who will ascend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can look to it. And it's um, in your word, Lord, that we receive truth. And it's in your word that we can um, know you. We thank you, Lord, for the revelation of your son, Jesus. And even today in worship, God, how we can lift up our voices to you and worship you, the triune God. I pray, God, now you'd bless um, the rest of our service. We thank you that you are near to us, that you dwell um, with us, God, and that you are uh, the one triune God. We love you. Amen. All right, last time um, in my sermon, I talked about the elements of faith. And I want to review them briefly, and then I'm going to talk about obstacles to faith. Uh, Do you guys remember the three elements of faith? You didn't know there was going to be a quiz today. (laughs) All right. I'll go easy on you, since you guys did such an amazing job at the barbecue. Um, Okay, so so there's three elements. Knowledge is the first one. If you walked up to someone in some remote village in the Himalayas and said, Jesus loves you, Um, that probably wouldn't mean much to that person. Um, For all they know, Jesus is the guy that lives on the edge of town, right? I mean, they just, who is Jesus? That would be really the first question that they would ask. So when we talk about true faith or a faith that saves, um, the first thing you have to have is knowledge. You have to have knowledge about the thing that you're being um, requested or challenged to put your faith in. But just knowing the information, so you meet that person in the Himalayas and you explain all this information, you could walk through parts of the Bible. You could go through uh, from Genesis to Revelation and give maybe a 30-minute overview. That information about Jesus, just knowing information about Jesus, that doesn't save someone, right? Um, So the first part of true faith is knowledge. You have to have that, but knowledge alone does not save someone. Knowledge of Hinduism doesn't make you a Hindu. Studying the teachings of socialism, thankfully, doesn't make you a socialist. (laughs) Okay? But you do have to have knowledge. The second aspect is assent, or you might even say intellectual assent. Knowledge alone is not enough. You need more than that. Um, But assent is acknowledging that the information is true and accurate. So back to that guy in the Himalayas, you're talking to him, and you kind of go through Genesis to Revelation, and he's listening, 
and you finish, and he's like, oh, that's a nice little myth. That's a nice little story. Okay? So he has information, um, but at that point, it's just knowledge. To if you talk to him and he came and said, wow, that, yeah, that's amazing, that's true. Okay? Then he's intellectually assented. He's come to the place where it's not just a story that's made up or some myth or something like that. There's actually knowledge that he can assent to and say that is factually accurate. That would be intellectual assent. Um, look at Matthew 8. We, we see a little example of this in Matthew 8. In verse 28, it says, And when Jesus came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? So here we have this story about these demon-possessed men. These demons are crying out, right? They know who Jesus is. They have the knowledge, right? And they even assent to the knowledge. Look how they address him. Back in verse 29. What have you to do with us, O Son of God? So they actually have the knowledge. They actually assent to who Jesus is. He's the Son of God. But what's their reaction? It's like, stay away, right? Don't mess with us. Um, they don't bow down. That would be the appropriate response. No. They quiver. They're in fear. So just the knowledge and even the assenting to the knowledge doesn't save you. So what else do you need? You need trust. Trust. So um, to depend on Jesus to save you is really the foundation when we talk about having a biblical faith. Okay? You do need the knowledge. You have to assent that it's true, but you have to come to a point where you trust, you actually trust in Jesus, not yourself, not anything you do, but a trust in Jesus to save you. That you have the confidence that he can do that, that he will do that. That's trust. You need that aspect to it. Many people even so-called believers, have the first two parts for faith. They got the knowledge, and they have the intellectual assent, but they're missing the trust. You have to have the trust. So saving faith is trust in Jesus for forgiveness of sins and for eternal life with God. That's what we talked about last time. This week I want to talk about some obstacles to faith. What are some obstacles to faith? Um, and the first thing I want to talk about is something, and I mentioned it at, at summer camp, um, but I wanted to mention it again, is what I call article theologians. Article theologians. It's someone who reads an article or a blog, and, and then they think they know the subject like they're an expert. Just, just one article, and they're the expert. It's like they're a five-minute expert. And I call them article theologians. Um, here's the thing, <clears throat> and I've been guilty of it myself, and some of you have too, just letting you know. <laughs> um, you look foolish to those who really understand the issues well on that particular subject. Okay? Um, if you can read a five-minute article and, and, and become an expert in it, um, 
that's probably not that big of a topic. Okay, it's just, right? Um, and here's the thing. Um, I'm not an expert in many things, okay? I'm not an expert in many things. And when I am not an expert, I try to go to the experts. Some of you I've texted about different things, whether it's working on my house or figuring out chemistry or different things like that. If you're not an expert, acknowledge it, admit it. Go to the people who know much better than you. Um, save yourself a lot of heartache. But here's the thing. Um, uncertain, uncertain things, primarily biblical topics, I consider myself pretty sharp um, because I've done my homework and I put in my time and I've studied, um, I've studied well. I've done what First uh, Timothy 2 talks about, study to show thyself approved, right? That's where the, the Awana program gets their name from. Approved workmen are not ashamed, Awana. So that's what, <clears throat> that's what I have um, done to the best of my ability. I've put in my time. And if I'm very careful, um, if I'm gonna speak to a subject, I'm very careful if I'm gonna speak to it because I wanna make sure I'm well informed before addressing the topic. And when I see people, whether it's a blog or a Facebook post or something like that, um, I can spot someone in my little tiny area of expertise when they're rambling on and uneducated in certain things, making mistakes that anyone who has actually taken the time to do a little study would never make. Um, when, when we do that as believers, and then some unbeliever sees us making basic mistakes on some, some topic we're trying to discuss, it, it kind of discredits us as believers. It's like, wow, they don't even take their time to do their homework. Why should I believe them on something that's really important, like the gospel? So really what I think is, is happening there is, is there's pride on our part. And we want to be and feel like we have the right answer to everything. Every person wants to have the right answer to everything. I want to have the right answer to everything. And I think it's noble that we aspire to do that. And guess what? You do think you're right on everything. So do I. If I didn't think I was right on something, I'd change my position to the right thing, right? So everyone thinks they're right on everything. But on the things that we're not really sure about, let's express a little humility, right? And at least admit it. And if we're not an expert, if we don't have much knowledge, let's show you a little humility and at the front, Admit that, okay? So let's get rid of the article of theologians. Um, there's only one being who knows it all. His name is Yahweh, okay? So when you act like you know it all, you're acting like God, not in a good way. Uh, look at 1 Peter chapter 5. It says this in verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. There's not too many things where God, it says specifically in Scripture, where God like, opposes someone for doing something. But when it comes to pride, a number of times in the Scriptures it says, God opposes the proud. He opposes the proud. And then there's almost the antithetical with, with some type of, of statement about humility. He opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Okay? Look, you don't want God opposing you. That's a bad thing. Okay? Humility. 
humility. Look at Proverbs 29. Look what it says in verse 23. One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. This word pride, it derives from the root meaning to be high. Okay, not marijuana, folks. I know some of you are thinking it. But it derives from the root meaning to be high, and it constitutes a precise antithetical, the opposite parallel of lowly. And here's what one theologian said. Pride is a fundamental attitude of self-sufficiency because of which a person throws off humility and pursues selfish desires. In pride, a person rejects the need for dependence on God or his laws and despises moral or social limitations that regulate behavior according to the highest good for others. Pride is a hindrance to true faith. Second, concerns the Bible. You want to know what the number one indicator of spiritual growth is in a believer's life? The number one indicator. This thing, if they have it, or if they're doing it, it's the number one indicator that they're going to grow spiritually. It's reading the Bible. Study after study after study after study. Those who read the Bible on a regular basis are the believers that are growing. Study after study. Um, not reading the word is an obstacle to true faith. Look, if you're a believer, you should read the Bible all the way through, at least once. And some people have been saved for a while. They haven't done that. You just got to gear up and do it. All right? If you love the word, love all the word and show it. All right? No excuses, no complaints. Work your way through it. There's many Bible reading plans. We can get you one if you need it. To get through it in a year, you need to read about three and one quarter chapters a day. Okay? So three and a quarter chapters gets you through the entire Bible in one year. Um, That's pretty manageable. Um, I challenged students at summer camp uh, to read through the Bible, and I found out uh, later that two people um, specifically took me up on the challenge. One person who's in college, they started reading um, sometime during that week of summer camp, which was like the middle of June, and they finished um, at the college career retreat, which was last weekend. So in three months, they read through the entire Bible. You do the math on that, that's 13 chapters a day. Okay? Um, Why? Because they want to know God's word. So yeah, 13 chapters, that's quite a bit. Um, But they did it, and they worked their way through it. And I believe it's apparent in their life. Um, Here's the thing. Reading the Bible leads to biblical thinking. It leads to biblical thinking. And biblical thinking leads to biblical transformation. And biblical transformation leads to biblical action. So we have to think rightly so we can act rightly. And the word of God, it's like a a cast to your broken bone, all right? It sets things straight. It sets things straight. It makes it right. 
And here's the thing about Christianity. Listen, our Christianity, the world is okay. The world is okay with you being a Christian, provided a few things. Okay? They're okay with you being a Christian, provided you support the gay agenda, provided you make no distinction between male and female, provided you don't speak out on certain social issues, provided you do speak out on certain social issues, or at least clap when other people speak out on certain social issues, provided you don't say Jesus is the only way, and provided you don't try to convert them. Okay? You do that, and the world's okay with you. I mean, think about it. I mean, there's a lot of churches out there, and that's what they do. Those churches, no one's, no one's doing anything against those churches. No one's bothering those believers. Believers. Um, basically, you keep your mouth shut, and you're fine. And here's the thing. Some of us have bought the lie that if we want to survive in the workplace, if we want to survive with our neighbors, if we want to survive with our family, we have to keep our mouth shut. If we want to keep the peace, we have to be quiet. And listen, Jesus was very straightforward to this. He addressed this directly. He said in Matthew 10, verse 34, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. All right, so he realizes that who he is, and if you're standing with him, that's going to be a problem for some people. They're not going to like that. You're going to have challenges. You're going to have issues. So that's the second thing, uh, not reading the word. Third is what I would call a works-righteous mentality. A works-righteous mentality. Look at Matthew 5. What do I mean by works righteous mentality? I mean that the actions that you do can earn you favor with God. And that's unbiblical. Here's what it says in Matthew 5. He says, starting in verse 17, this is Jesus speaking. It's the Sermon on the Mount. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So he's saying in order to go to heaven, you have to be more righteous than the Pharisees. Is that possible? Well, yes and no. Because I know what you all are thinking. No, it's not possible to be more righteous externally than the Pharisees. They were the most righteous people externally of the day. Right? They followed the law to the T. In fact, they were so concerned about breaking God's law, they had the, the written law, the Torah, and then they kind of built 
what theologians call a fence around the law, the oral law, which added additional commandments to all the commandments already found in the Old Testament. What was the result for them? It was not salvation. The most righteous externally did not earn their way into heaven. Why? Because it's not about works. There's nothing you can do. So, people hearing this, when, when Jesus was saying this, um, would have been pretty dismayed. Like, they'd be like, um, the Pharisees are pretty righteous, Jesus, and if I've got to be more righteous than them, then, then I don't got any shot. Which is part of his point, actually. Like, exactly. You ain't got any shot on your own. So how does anyone go to heaven? Well, can you be more righteous than the Pharisees? Well, the flip side is yes, someone can be righteous on your behalf. You, yourself, individually can't be righteous, but can someone else be righteous on your behalf? Yes, Jesus. Here he comes, he lives the perfect life, obeyed the Father in every way, gives his life, as we sang in the song, as a ransom for many. He's crucified. He bears your sins and my sins on the cross. So here's the thing. Um, you, hear, you hear the thing, you know, Jesus, he wipes away your sin. He wipes away your sin, which he does, and that's great. But if, if, if God right now <clears throat> just wiped away all the sins of everyone in the whole world, and then a split second later, those people died, would they go to heaven? No. Why? Because just wiping the sins kind of returns them to a state of almost like a moral neutrality. It's like zero. Okay? But you've got to have a plus. You have to have something for God to see you and say, oh, yes, come into heaven. You are righteous. And just wiping out all our sins does not equate with righteousness. It doesn't. You have to have righteousness. And so, if your sins are wiped out, that's great. No sin, but there's no righteousness. You have to have not only your sins wiped out, but you have to have Jesus give you what only Jesus has, and that's his righteousness. He has to take it and give it to you. That's part of the riches that Ephesians talks about. But you have to have his righteousness so that when God sees you, he sees that, oh, you are righteous. It's the same root word as the word for justification or justified. He sees you and says, you are justified. Okay, I declare you not guilty. I declare you innocent. You have the righteousness, not of your own, which you can't earn. The Pharisees couldn't. No one can. You have the righteousness of Christ. Imputed is the fancy word given to you placed on you. You have to have the righteousness of Christ if you want to go to heaven. A lot of times, people I talk to, even people who call themselves believers, think they have to do something. They have to do works to please God, to earn their way to heaven. That's just not the case. It's not the case. Okay. God wants faith in action. He wants our faith to be an active faith, but you have faith first, a true saving faith that has the knowledge and the assent and the trust, okay? So you're actually saved, and then as a result of being saved, you do something. 
for the Lord. You don't do it for the Lord to be saved. You do it because you already are saved. So think about the barbecue outreach. I mean, that's a good thing that we did, all right? Hey, we handed out more hamburgers than we did the first time, all right? <laughs> so we handed out uh, a ton of hamburgers, a ton of hot dogs, and you know what? Over half, half of y'all were there, which was awesome to see, okay? If you got suggestions for making it better, email me. We're jotting down notes. But liberty needs to come together collectively to be outward focused at times. So that's why do we do the barbecue? To collectively be a witness to this dying world. Okay? Why Hidden Valley? Why Link? Because that's where God has placed us for this time and moment. So God's aligning our hearts with, with that ministry, and we have an opportunity to come together. It is good to see you all apart from Sundays. All right? hope you feel the same about me. But it's good to see you guys outside of Sundays. I think it's important for us to see each other outside of Sundays and to collectively come together to be outward-focused as a church. It's a good reminder for us when we're together. You know, I mean, like, Laura was like a little sharing machine on Friday night. You know, she was talking with people, talking with people, talking with people, looking for opportunities. I don't know how many people she talked with. It looked like 25 or 50 or something, all right? That challenged me. I need that. That was good. I was encouraged by it, and I was like, that's what I need to be doing. It's good for us to do those things as a church and get out. Part of it, it kind of gets us out of our comfort zone. Part of it tells us, hey, you know what? Let's not focus on ourselves, but let's focus on others and their needs. And you know what? It reminds us, once we go outside, that there's a dying world that needs the gospel, and we have it. So at times, we're going to do those things, and we'll focus, we'll focus outward. At other times, we'll focus inward. There's nothing wrong with that. You need to have a good balance. But a great example of that was yesterday with helping Brian and Aurora move, right? It was, a little inward. It was outward focused, but inward focused as well. And there were so many families there. It was like pretty much from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. People helping out the knee bones move. And by the way, they are here today, which is, I just got to say, that is amazing. <clears throat> because anyone who's moved, which is probably all of us, know that that is a very long day. So I am encouraged to see you all, to see you all here. Um, but, but we don't do those things. We don't do an outreach to be saved. We don't help people move to be saved. We do them because we are saved, because we love the Lord, because we want to honor him, we want to please him, we want to minister to others, we want to put others' priorities and their interests above our own. We don't do it to earn favor with God. We already have the favor with God through Jesus. If you got Jesus, you have favor with God. You don't have Jesus, you don't have favor. It's that clear. So I want to encourage us. Some of us, maybe the word today, is humility. Okay, all of us should be fighting against pride constantly because it will creep in without you even knowing it. So you need to be on guard against that. Maybe that's the word for you today. Fight against the pride. Humble yourselves. Some of you, the word might be to get in the word, to get in the Bible and get serious about it, to get reading it. I don't know about you, but if I have a Bible reading plan, it sure helps me a whole lot. Okay? If I'm just kind of wandering around doing my own thing, like flipping open the Bible randomly, I usually don't read as much. 
So get a Bible reading plan. Get in the Word. Realize your salvation is not your own doing. I want you to see this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. And then look at verse 9. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. What's not a result of works? You being saved. That's not a result of works. Okay? The result of you being saved is God's grace through faith. That's how he saves you. I encourage you to trust, to truly trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Okay? Um, I've, I've seen and I've read many people, they grow up in the church, and they have the knowledge for sure. They even have the intellectual assent. But it's, but it's not, we might say it's not real to them. They've never really trusted. Don't be one of those people. Don't be one of those people. Look, someday we're all going to appear before God. And he says he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. Okay, He's going to do that. And there's going to be two lines, so to speak. And you need, you need to make sure that you are in with the sheep. All of us do. That you're on the side with the sheep. Okay, The sheep, eternal life with the Father forever. The goats, eternal damnation in the lake of fire forever. Okay? The contrast literally couldn't be any more clear. And each of us has to make that choice. And really it comes down to who you're going to live for. You're going to live for Jesus? You're going to choose him? Choose his ways? Or are you going to be king of your own life? What did Jesus say himself when it came to walking out what God wanted. Not my will, but yours be done. That needs to be our attitude as well. Not my will, but yours be done. Okay? That is an exercise of true saving faith. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for anyone here who doesn't know you, who doesn't truly know you, You'd give them what we just read in Ephesians. You'd give them the gift of faith to trust in you. Spirit, that you would do your work to touch their hearts, touch their minds, touch their souls. It is such pure and true joy to know you. Not from afar, but personally and quite close. And we thank you it's through your son that we have the forgiveness of sins. We thank you that it's through your son we have righteousness. And Christ did it all. Therefore, we don't have to do anything. We thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that you love us so much. We thank you that you are a God who is faithful to his covenant. We thank you that you will never leave us nor forsake us.